According to the 2019 LivePlan Small Business Survey, 71% of small business owners want forecasting and cash planning services. 61% want business planning, strategy, and monthly management reporting. 70% prefer virtual advisory services. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LivePlan, later in the episode. And the best part about this, David, is what he spent the money on. Apparently, he spent $1.5 million on a Rolex presidential watch, a diamond bracelet, a 5.73 carat diamond ring for himself, a 2019 Rolls-Royce Wraith, $40,000 in child support, and then agents, when they um, stormed his property to execute a search warrant, they found $80,000 in cash, including $9,400 that Fain had in his pockets. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Paycheck Protection Program, CARES Act, unemployment insurance, furloughs, layoffs, cash flow, CDC guidance, employee safety, paid leave, tax credits. Tracking all of the constantly changing COVID-19 related information for your clients is getting overwhelming. With OnPay's COVID-19 Resource Center, you'll have a one-stop shop for your up-to-date HR and tax information. OnPay is an easy-to-use full-service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes deep integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll service. Learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As firms everywhere are positioning themselves to work remotely, BQE Software is committed to supporting you and your employees during this critical time. BQE's core products operate 100% on a native cloud platform that's uniquely able to help you in your efforts to embrace remote work while maintaining your productivity. In response to the impact that COVID-19 has had on your firm and your clients' businesses, the team at BQE has let us know that Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners will now receive three months of BQE Core for free with an annual subscription package purchased on or before May 31st, 2020. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And David, did I hear you correctly that you went to a wedding this weekend? Why aren't you social distancing? So, I could not actually go to the wedding, so we had to do it via Zoom. A Zoom wedding. Friday night or Saturday. Yeah, was it Friday, Friday evening? We uh, did the cutting the cake, and so they sent cupcakes to everybody, and we popped champagne and did a Zoom cutting of the cake together. How many people were on this wedding Zoom? I think it was like about 80. Wow. 80, and then there's a lot of couples, so it's probably double that, right? There's like yeah. you know, families, et cetera. And, but they got married earlier that day in the beach they, uh, in San Francisco. So, they did do a proper social distance wedding. Um, they had about six, seven people there and they were all spaced out on their own little blanket and uh, oh. they did a wedding. That's great. Did you, did they have any Zoom issues, like people not muting themselves? <laughs> I mean, eighty people is a lot. Yes. Yeah, so the, she's a CEO, and I think he uh, runs a sales team. So they're mm-hmm. very good at managing. You know, making people. You raise your hand. You have to use all the Zoom features to manage that. Well, that's uh, that's fun. 
Well, I don't think I'm going to be attending any quarantine weddings, but I do have some news uh, myself, which is it looks like my family is going to be relocating permanently to Arizona. Congratulations. Thank you. We're going to be neighbors. We're going to practically neighbors, right? How far is Tucson from Phoenix? Depends on where you're going to Phoenix, anywhere from two hours to two and a half hours, depends on where you're at. My parents live in Phoenix and we'd always toyed around with the idea of moving here, but my wife's company doesn't have an office in Phoenix. And they have a policy where if there's an office in the metro, you can move there, but you can't if they don't. Well, now with all this remote work stuff going on, her team's going to be remote potentially forever because they always had the ability to work from home. So she's not encountering any resistance to us moving. And the cost of living, man, oh my God, coming from LA, even Scottsdale, which is like a ritzy part of Phoenix, is like half the price. It's just amazing. I'm, I'm in heaven. It's spreadsheet appropriate. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, incre- it's great. I was in Phoenix yesterday and mm-hmm. you would never guess there was a pandemic or a COVID thing. It was like regular old Phoenix. I could not yeah. believe. I think the restaurants and stuff just opened the day before, but I yeah. was really shocked at how, other than Costco, I had to get some gas to fill up before I left. Other than Costco, which has a policy to make people wear masks, you would never know anything was happening in Phoenix. It's so spread out that one thing that I'm really happy about moving here is even as Arizona reopens, which it's doing, I don't think there's going to be this giant surge in infections here if it's done smart because it's so spread out. Even in offices, right? It's not like you're crammed together like you are in LA or San Francisco or New York. There's a lot more space, a lot more overhead room, you know, ventilation, all that stuff. A lot more separate buildings too, right? There's not just a small amount of office spaces that are just built up like skyscrapers, you know. Exactly. It's, everybody it's, has their own building and own piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm um, hopeful. You know, these are silver linings for me. We'll check back in with you mid-August and see how, how, how this move how this move's going in Phoenix when, it, when it's 117. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I might might be regretting it then. But um, let's talk about what's going on with everything. Again, PPP, coronavirus, stimulus. The gods worked with us because you, you, there was uh, somebody drilling, so we couldn't record on Friday. And it's good that we didn't because we... <laughs> canceled it and instead we're recording on sunday but friday night again new guidance around ppp drops yep new guidance around ppp on late on friday so there's that um follow up about uh some of the stories richard burr is in the news and we talked about him so i've got that and then where do we begin uh i have a my peril hr update Ooh, let's do follow-up let's talk about that so the fraud right it was uh just to recap quickly, so Michael Mann had a couple of payroll companies. One of them was My Payroll HR, and he was using all these payroll companies along with his. I think he had about eighteen other entities, and he was cutting checks between a bank account he had at Pioneer Bank and a bank accounts he had at Bank of America. This and all seems so long ago now. It does seem long ago. And what he did is he uh, somewhere on the line it crossed the line, and he rerouted payroll direct deposit money that was supposed to go into employees' bank accounts and the money to pay taxes. He rerouted that into his own accounts and everything, it was a domino effect from there. So that's kind of a quick recap of my payroll HR. Mm-hmm. Well, now Pioneer Bank is countersuing him. They kind of just saying that he defrauded them right. entirely the whole time, repeatedly for a long time. Except for I think you and I, before we were looking at this and we suspected that how did Pioneer Bank let this happen unless he had somebody inside the bank 
at working with him. So it still doesn't yeah. make total sense. Um, but yeah, so they've counterclaimed now for $46 million. I, I don't totally understand why they call it a counterclaim because it's filed as a response to the um, U.S. District Court in uh, New York against Pioneer Bank. So so there's been lawsuits against the bank. People are suing the bank because they have, they've been holding the tax money. I'm going to say it's a counter. It's almost like a, a push the boulder thing, right? <laughs> like, don't sue us. It's, we we got to sue this guy first so that you can sue us. It, it's interesting because it looks like it sounds like this money is still just tied up. Well, I've got some follow-up on Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina. Listeners may recall that uh, he was accused of insider trading, I believe back in March. He had to disclose in filings that he sold stock worth between 600 and $1.7 million. He sold 33 stock holdings on February 12th, and he was receiving classified briefings from CIA officials and top government health officials in the Senate at that time. He actually got a briefing like the day before. And he's the one that, uh, so, so it was a couple of people that kind of got caught for this before, but he's the one that said, I just was watching business news, cable TV, and yeah. I just made smart decisions the next morning and sold everything. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the classified intel I was receiving as the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And it's not just him, by the way, I should say. Uh, Senators James Inofe, I, I hope that's how you say it, Republican of Oklahoma, Kelly Loeffler, Republican of Georgia, and Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California, have all been accused of insider trading and have said that they did nothing wrong. But Richard Burr is the one who's taken the most heat for this because he sold a lot of his holdings. I guess that's like the m- most of his holdings. He didn't have, he's not a rich senator. Well, plus um, the second, the, the other reason to key is because back when he did this before, he actually was one of the only few senators that opposed the bill. Oh, to the bill that would uh, ban senators from insider trading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there is a law that says you can't use classified information, information you receive as a senator to trade on stock. And that's recent. It used to be just anybody could do it. It was not a crime. It was unethical, but it wasn't a crime. So it is a crime. And here the big news is, as reported in the New York Times, that uh, the FBI is investigating him, which is a big deal for the FBI to investigate a senator. They uh, seized his cell phone as part of an investigation. So they went to his house and took his cell phone from him. And they're investigating whether or not he was trading on non-public information about the coronavirus. And... uh, there's a question as to whether or not this investigation is somewhat politically motivated. Given that he's a Republican, you would think that you know perhaps the administration would not be all that interested in investigating him. That was my initial uh, thinking. Well, it turns out that Burr has been the face and driving force behind the bipartisan Russia interference investigation. So, is this retribution potentially for having? let that happen for making that happen. He's not on good terms with the White House. Uh, There's no evidence to suggest that, but it seems possible to me. It's, I don't know, I was really mad when that all went down because it was just like unbelievable, the nerve. And he, I think they were, I saw too, they're looking at his phone, right? Because he communicated with other people as far as like giving them a heads up too. Yeah, some other people benefited, Cousins and buzzers and yeah. Yeah. So so they're they're probably going to find something and, it's just not cool, and he's going to lose his seat. 
And if he doesn't lose his seat because of, you know, a criminal investigation, he's going to lose his seat. They're going to vote him out. Like nobody's going to stand for this. This is, you know. So that's that's the follow up I've got. Uh, shall we turn to PPP? I think so. That's the the next big uh, chunk, right? My lead story for the PPP. It's come to reality TV, David. Reality TV is crossing over with the Paycheck Protection Program. The Washington Post reported that Maurice Mo Fain, a trucking company owner who appears regularly on the reality show Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, has been charged with using more than $1.5 million in Small Business Administration stimulus funds to enrich himself rather than for paying workers and small business expenses as the program requires. And the best part about this, David, is what he spent the money on. Apparently, he spent $1.5 million on a Rolex presidential watch, a diamond bracelet, a 5.73 carat diamond ring for himself, a 2019 Rolls-Royce Wraith, $40,000 in child support, and then agents, when they um, stormed his property to execute a search warrant, they found $80,000 in cash, including $9,400 that Fain had in his pockets. Something doesn't add up right about this story, though. What is that? Yeah, tell me. Because like, it's like, what is the crime? Like, the only thing they really approve is he spent a bunch of money. Like, there's no until he files his forgiveness paperwork, right? Like, like how? Like, unless he these are coming out of the business account. Like the, the he got a loan, it was deposited in the business checking account, and then he used the business checking account to make these purchases. Like, like I don't know where where the fraud is, other than he just buys a bunch of stupid shit. Like. I, that's right. I'm not. I'm not following. Like, what did he actually do that was fraudulent? Well, so what I think happened is that he had the money deposited into his bank accounts, his business bank accounts, and then he withdrew that money and spent it on these things. And as part of getting the loan, you have to certify that the loan proceeds will be used to quote retain workers and maintain p- payroll or make mortgage interest payments, lease payments, and utility payments as specified under the Paycheck Protection Program rule. Unquote. So, 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 how many paycheck protection loans have there been now? They're pushing four million. Uh, four million, yeah. Four million. So, just somebody just happened to be watching his account and said, "Hey, these aren't paychecks leaving this account." Well, so he got like, a two. Like none of it adds up. He got a two million dollar <laughs> loan, which is on that threshold of what they are targeting now. That puts you on the radar. Yep, it puts you on the radar. So they are probably looking for this kind of stuff to shut it down as quickly as possible because it would be really bad PR if uh, this happened a lot. (laughs) So, uh, it was probably super obvious. Like, it doesn't say this in the articles that I read, but I imagine the way they caught him is probably how they catch a lot of this stuff, which is he was like posting on Instagram or something. I'm sure if we went and like dug into it, we would find out that he was bragging about spending all this money, right? So then he somebody- got a new license plate that said, go, go PPP. <laughs> go PPP. <or, laughs> so I got in his car and it gave it away. Yeah, the Rolls Royce <laughs> yeah. Wraith, right? Yeah, it just, yeah. it's, you know, it, 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 I'm sure this is happening more than we know, but like this was just an obvious case. So I just, you know, 9400 in his pockets, almost $10,000 just in his pockets when they raided his house. Which is more than a lot of people's PPP loan. Yeah, right. <laughs> he just added his pocket. Yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, he supposedly has like 100 employees. I, I don't know if that's even true. But he said on this loan application that he had 107 employees. And that's what's the confusing part is like the, the, about this – there's not a case being made of like, oh, he lied in the application. He did not like they're 
they're just saying he didn't spend it on the correct things, which right. is interesting because shouldn't you be allowed to submit your forgiveness paperwork at the end and show what you're spending it on, not spending it on? I mean, well, like if he'd, ha- I, I, I don't know, I think it's a jump here. <laughs> yeah. So, well, here's the funny part. So his lawyer said that, quote, there has been considerable confusion among small business owners about PPP guidelines, particularly around the question of whether and how business owners are permitted to pay themselves a salary or owner's draw. This ambiguity and confusion for business owners needs to be addressed immediately as the PPP program is still in its infancy, which makes me think that they're going to try and argue that he gave the money to himself as payroll and therefore was not misusing the funds according to the certification. Like he paid himself the money, which other PPP recipients have done. They've issued bonuses to their executives after receiving PPP money, right? Yeah. So I wonder if this will actually stick or if the ambiguity around the rules is going to allow him to get out of it. I mean, either way, yeah, yeah, he won't get it forgiven. That's for sure. But like, is it actually a crime? Hard to say, right? That's, that's, that's the article. That's the part I did not get. Like this got a lot of show. It was on Twitter. It's, you know, it it gets a lot of flash, but I'm, I'm not sure there's a crime yet. (laughs) Nobody made a clear case that he committed a crime or a fraud. He just spent the money on really stupid things. Well, so. Um, Which should be a crime. Let's let's talk about this ambiguity uh, and the new guidance that came out on Friday. Well, even before you jump into the new guidance that came in Friday, I mean, Mark Ruby had a video this week and he talked about how he met with Steve Mnuchin. Mm-hmm. about how they need to have more flexibility and it needs to be easier with the forgiveness, right? And some of the reasons were a lot of it, the argument of just the timeline. It's almost impossible for every single person to have that perfect eight weeks, right? Yeah, the guidance, if you're, <laughs> the guidance just came out. So, a lot of companies are more than four weeks into their forgiveness period. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but a lot of companies aren't even open yet. They haven't even spent any right, money Right, right. Yeah, just and that so, too. Yeah. And so, they, they really have been, they, they hinted at new f- uh, forgiveness and now they've introduced a bill. Right, they they want to introduce a bill that that because when this whole started, uh, Marco Rubio's argument is we just didn't know enough when we when we introduced the first CARES Act, and so mm-hmm. they want to introduce a special bill about the um, forgiveness and about the taxability because that was the that was the big news drop last week, right? At the end of the month was the hey, it's all going to be taxable, and so yep. they want to they want to release a bill that addresses these two things, um, and then I'll let you continue on with what happened Friday night. Yeah, so so. Did, and did they say any specifics, though, about what they want to do to make this easier? Moving the eight-week period was one of those things, right? Letting businesses decide when that starts? Um, no, but he said, quote-unquote in his tweet, um, expect some more flexibility in loan forgiveness guidelines, and we'll, we will begin to work on a bipartisan bill providing even more flexibility. Great. So, you can buy, you know, so that was, the world's rice. That was Rubio, right? <laughs> so, Rubio. so, get ready for the new bill to pass like the day before the loan period expires or something. Uh, So, let's talk about what happened on Friday. So, the SBA released more information, more guidance, and the application itself, the the actual loan and forgiveness application. So, now we can actually put the numbers in and see what our clients or our businesses are going to get forgiven. And Tony Nitti, and I've never said his last name out loud, so I apologize if that's completely wrong. Um, He uh, wrote this amazing walkthrough of the application, like line by line, how you do it with a case study example. And it is long. I tried to follow along this morning. I was reading it at at breakfast and my eyes just started glazing over. And I started thinking to myself, oh my God, this loan forgiveness application is so insanely complicated. 
Even accountants are going to have trouble filling this thing out. That's why we need an expert like Tony to tell us how it works. So think about just your typical small business that doesn't have an accountant guiding them through this. Most don't. It's an 11-page PDF to account for one box that was on the original application form. Yes. Which is the wages box. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So, I mean, this. let's say simplify this. It's going to be an absolute disaster. It's going to discourage businesses from applying, which we've talked about. We talked about that last week. It still is a problem because there's PPP money that is still out there. People have realized it's so difficult. This loan forgiveness thing is so uncertain, so complicated. The businesses have just stopped taking the money. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I want to read a section from the article, which is great. So, Tony writes... While the application included instruction, the SBA failed to provide two additional items that would have greatly benefited borrowers. One, narrative-based guidance, similar to previously issued interim final rules, which ideally would clear up much of the confusion surrounding critical definitions from what items are included in payroll costs to the treatment of guaranteed payments or self-rental payments. Number two, Detailed blueprints for constructing a fully functioning time machine so nearly 2 million small business owners could magically transport back to a time when this forgiveness guidance would actually be useful. So I just enjoyed that snarky remark because the SBA deserves it at this point. And anything that you can do to make this stuff more interesting is is fun. I love reading. I loved reading that. One thing though, we can we can we can rest that we impacted something, Blake. Um Yeah. Nobody was releasing numbers, and we were the, some of the first people to really start hammering on that, right? Mm-hmm. We spun up a website to track it. So, Steve Mnuchin on, and we missed this last week, but on May 6th, he announced that the SBA Gov is finally providing daily end-of-day updates on PPP loans. And so, now you yeah. can go in and see, and they even updated it, believe it or not, Saturday night. So, as of last night. So, the, every they're truly, truly giving the numbers out on a regular basis now. So, where are we at with the amount that has been accessed, distributed, received? So this is the round two data, which doesn't help because it's just the round two data and you have to go find the old data and add it back in. But the round two data, they're at 2.7 loans, 2.7 million loans for 195 billion. And that is, we're looking at uh, still uh, 5,400 participating lenders and the average loan size of this round is 70,000. Got it. So way lower than the previous tranche of loans, which was closer to what? I mean, over 100,000. 180. Yeah, it yeah, was closer was to 200, right? So that's good. But like a good chunk of the second piece of PPP is still unclaimed. It's not, people aren't applying for it. Of the first tranche, do we still know? Like, do we know how much has actually been dispersed at this point? It was supposed to all be dispersed within 10 days, but I think that is not necessarily happening. I saw a whole mess on Twitter about one lender in particular, Cabbage. Were you following this, David? I was trying to. There was more and more about Cabbage popping up. So, people were applying through Cabbage. And I think the bad part is they were getting messages and email that says, hey, your loans are ready to be approved or you need to sign something. And then you log into the site and then either the thing you want is not available. But the worst part is people weren't getting responses back. It was almost like Cabbage was radio silent for a bit. And they were approving loans, and then people were getting frustrated with Cabbage because they couldn't get any word on it, and they were going and trying to apply through other lenders. And the lenders would come back and say, no, you've already been approved. So it's like Cabbage had locked up their EIN with a loan application that they weren't getting funded. 
I wonder how many business owners are in that situation where they have applied, they're locked in with a lender, but they're not getting the money yet. And something that makes me think this is true was a survey of small business owners asking them, you know, how many of you have actually gotten funding yet? So this was on Accounting Today on May 14th. This week, 39% of applicants are still waiting for approval, down from 59% just two weeks ago and 45% last week. So I'm having trouble squaring this. 39% of applicants are still waiting for approval. And that is from paychecks. Paychecks polled 300 randomly selected US business owners with two to 500 employees. So we've got a second round of PPP money, a good chunk of which is still available and unclaimed. People are not applying. But of that first round, people are still waiting to get their money. So basically, $500 billion has been approved. And a lot of people still have yet to get it. So the bottleneck is that it's got to be the banks. That's where the problem is. Because it's been approved by the SBA. They're reporting they've approved it. People still don't have the money. That's all. And I, mean, I went, that's, that's what we don't know that for sure. But like, what else could it be? I mean, the, the, the trouble here is, right, the, you have to have the cash to deposit in people's accounts. It's not like you get the application, you send it to the SBA, the SBA puts money in your in your account. So then you can loan it out to the small business owner if you're the bank or the lender. Because right, I know that my lender that I applied with, they were like, oh, we have to source some more money. We don't have any more money to give out. Right. (laughs) It wasn't even an application thing. They ran out of money. Um, What I find interesting with the tech thing, so Cabbage and then uh, Divi had some problems, is that all these companies are all part, they have a partner bank, right? So ultimately, there's, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the tech companies that are in this game. Have, they're not. They're not actually supplying the money. They're just basically playing middleman to a partner bank who's right. supplying the money. Right. And and it, it is it the partner bank that's you know where, where's the the downfall here? I don't know. Right. Or where, mm-hmm. where this process is breaking. But it makes me wonder. Like some of the big big companies. So you know the Intuits or the PayPal's. Like are they funding these loans themselves? Um. And to to speed that process. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we know partner bank too. Well, yeah, we don't know. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LivePlan. Especially in these times, small business owners need cash forecasting that helps their business both survive and thrive. And they need information presented in ways they can understand. Because LivePlan was built for small business owners to understand, it is the perfect platform for you to offer a wide range of strategic advisory services. LivePlan offers a complete advisory program you can consume online with over 20 resources from advisory business processes to meeting agendas and scripts to marketing emails and even guidance on packaging and pricing your advisory services. LivePlan is the least expensive business planning or forecasting app available, yet it comes with the most tools and resources. The LivePlan Strategic Advisor Program includes onboarding, annual CPE, unlimited users, co-branding, and an accountant's hotline phone number for customer support. Until June 30th, LivePlan is offering 50% off their online training program. To take advantage of this amazing 50% off offer, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LivePlan. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-P-L-A-N. LivePlan, your scalable and affordable advisory platform. So one more thing that happened last week, a big change that happened is, uh, well, do you remember how Mnuchin was threatening to audit every business that got a PPP loan? Yes, because that, that's when everything, the pendulum really swung to 
we're going to go after everybody. And now it's starting to swing the other way where spend on what you want, right? It, it was So, there was all that bad PR about the public companies getting the money, hedge funds maybe getting the money, nonprofits with large endowments getting the money. And so, then Mnuchin started saying, we're going to audit people over $2 million businesses over 2 million in PPP money are definitely going to get audited. And then they started saying that everybody's going to get audited potentially. Well, and they created the safe Harbor. They, was they like, created the they, safe they Harbor. It was the 15th. Now it's tomorrow. If you don't want to get criminal charges for this certification that you made that was improper, then return the money. And originally it was May 7th, was Fif- it? And May, May 15th. Oh, and, and then, then they, they kept pushing it, right? Yep. So th- now, I guess because of all the lack of interest, they scared away everybody from this program or a good chunk of people. They have changed uh, what their tune once again. And now the SBA is saying that businesses who received less than $2 million in PPP money will be assumed to have performed the required certification concerning the necessity of their loan requests in good faith. So you're, you're not going to get audited. They're just going to assume that you certified properly. After all of this, Accounting firms, I can't tell you how many emails I got from accounting firms advising their clients about this whole certification fiasco and consider whether or not you need the money. And I'm wondering how many of these businesses that got loans under $2 million returned the money because of that and are now like, I returned the money, but they weren't going to audit me. I, mean, I imagine it's not a huge amount though, because even the public companies that are have gotten the bad press about this, only a third of them have returned the money. So right. Far. But but it's really frustrating, right? So, Wall Street Journal had a great quote from a business owner, Richard Forrestell Jr. He's the treasurer of Cold Spring Construction in Akron, New York. He plans to return, at least as of the publication of this article, plans to return the $2.2 million PPP loan his 110-person family-owned construction company received in late April. Cold Spring, which specializes in road and bridge work, hasn't lost any business because of the pandemic, but Mr. Forrestell fears that New York could cut back on construction to balance a budget ravaged by the pandemic. This is a classic bait and switch, Mr. Forrestell said of the PPP changes. The company's expenses have increased because of new safety precautions, he said. But they're still going to give the money back because it's over $2 million. They can't risk the penalties, potentially. And so, they they could use the money, though. I mean, if you ask me, that sounds like need. It's just so ambiguous, though, they're not willing to take that risk. And, and, and have real penalties been announced? Or is it just you're going to have to pay the – it just turns into a loan? Well, it's – That's always been the confusing part of this whole thing is it was always like, if you don't spend it, it's just a loan. Yeah. What are the penalties, right? Uh, and what are, the, what are the civil penalties? What are the criminal penalties? We don't know. And at this point, the reason they're saying like only a third of re- public companies have returned it is it's just bad press is the penalty. So if you have a non-consumer facing product or uh-huh. company, you just don't care. Yeah. Why would you return it? So one of the really confusing things about this whole process, this whole forgiveness application is this idea that you have to spend 75% on payroll costs. And, and if you spend less than that, then it gets reduced, the forgiveness amount. So that is one of the biggest problems with this whole program in the eyes of many business owners who can't bring their employees back, whose employees are on unemployment, and the employees don't want to come back because of that. And it makes it really complicated. Well, apparently, that 75% requirement is not even in the legislation. It's a rule that SBA made up. It's not in the law. And the SBA's inspector general 
report on May 8th that we talked about last week says that the rule was never mandated by the legislation. Is this even going to stand up in court? Is it going to be enforceable? And yet both Mnuchin and Marco Rubio said that it would require legislative action to change the 75% rule that doesn't exist apparently in the law. Yeah. And that's what Rubio was saying. Like they're going to have to pass a special law just about the forgiveness, the timeline. Um, But why do they have to pass a law for something that wasn't in the legislation in the first place? There was a rule that SBA created. That's what I don't understand. Maybe I've got it wrong, but. Well, I think the, 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 I think that's the problem, right? They, they created a law that had too many holes in it. So then the IRS and the SBA are just making it up as they go and they keep conflicting with each other. And I, I think they're going to have to, now, now that they understand all the nuances, now they can actually make decisions and give guidance. Because I, I think that's the bigger problem. I don't think the SBA and IRS had proper guidance to begin with. The law, they had too many holes in the original law. I guess so. It's turning into uh, a political battle. Even on Rubio's uh, website now, he has a because it's election year, right? He has some yeah. uh, propaganda video about how successful the PVP program is, right? and so <laughs> this is like, that's why I truly believe eight weeks from now, like hey, if, if you're not on the list of fraud, it's just going to get forgiven. I honestly truly believe 100 percent forgiven because in election year, like nobody is going to be by, be the one that's like I ruin small businesses. Like it's just unless they know you're fraudulent, and which in theory, yeah. because everything went through the banks, those probably have gotten flagged already. Everybody's going to get forgiven. So there's one last thing, one last thing to consider in all of this, which is that um, the list of loan recipients is likely going to become public under the Freedom of Information Act requests. And the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, ProPublica have filed a joint lawsuit in federal court in Washington asking the SBA to disclose who is receiving the funds and in what amounts. And President Trump, in a press conference, he said in response to a question about whether or not he'd support releasing the full list of businesses who have received PPP loans, he said, quote, I wouldn't mind doing that. I don't know what the legal status of something like that is, I would like to do that as far as I'm concerned. I'm not involved in the process, but I would certainly like to have it listed. I would have to find out if there's a legal problem, but if there isn't, I would do it gladly. So that list is probably going to get out there. I, I I think probably should because it, we probably might find out how many Trump companies have gotten it, right? Like this, <laughs> it, it'd be good that we see this list, I think, in general. And so, you know, I have a personal connection to this now because after the guidance came out on Friday night saying that loans under $2 million are not going to get uh, audited or they're just going to assume the certification is correct, I said, well, I'm a sole proprietor. A sole proprietors can apply. Let's see if I can go apply. How, how easy is it? I'm going to try this myself because you know, I, I had applied for a client of mine, but not for myself. And there's money available, and apparently it's not going to get used, so why not? So I went onto the Cross River Bank website. I filled out the application using my net self-employment income for the last you know, 12 months, put those numbers in, uploaded my documents, and I got approved the next day. So <laughs> apparently, uh, I'm getting a loan, and according to what the SBA has said, they're just going to take my word that it's necessary. This is the crazy thing about sole proprietors too. It's easier, right, for you to It's easier it. because the net it's based on net self-employment income and it's just assumed that the entire amount is for payroll. So I don't have to like run payroll or anything. I just it's assumed that I'm spending 100% on payroll for myself. So I wonder how many people like me there are just are getting free money like this. 
right? I mean, I, I talked about it with my wife and we're thinking, well, you know, we feel kind of bad, like it's thousands of dollars, maybe just donate it to charity or go spend it on a small business that needs the money or something because it's ridiculous. I'm getting more money from the PPP than people who are getting stimulus checks. And I don't even qualify for a stimulus check. Yeah. I, I feel like when that kind of gets out there, when there's a list of like relatively high net worth individuals who got all this money, because there's going to be a lot of sole proprietors that you know, make a lot of money or S-corp people, like one employee S-corps that get the money and the list gets out there. Yeah, they're structured that way for tax advantages and now they're able right. to take care of this. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, it's basically like a stimulus payment to an individual, essentially. And so, it could be a lot of money depending on how much you make. Right. So, that's going to be very interesting. And I don't mind my name being on the list because if somebody calls and asks me about it, I'm going to complain about how crappy this program is. They can, they can contact you about it. So, yeah. obviously, the um, forgiveness calculator came out that the SBA provided. Yeah. Right. So, the AICPA had a press release on May 14th that they offer a loan forgiveness calculator. So, I just – but here's the crazy – so, it's just – it's a press release, right? And mm-hmm. it links to all these documents that they talk about how and how they had a t- – uh, AICPA town hall and all of this stuff, but there's no link to the calculator. I like gave up. Like I could not find the calculator. So it, the AICPA loan forgiveness calculator is divided into three subcategories, non-payroll expense tracking, full-time employee equivalent reduction over the eight week period of payroll accumulator. I can't find the link. Like there's no link to this forgiveness calculator. <laughs> like, it's just a complete fail. Like, like, like it's a great, it's a headline. Yeah. I clicked on it, but like, where's the calculator? Like, how simple is this? If you create a press release, put the link in AICPA. <laughs> like, uh, I, I gave up. I stopped looking because the other three links in here just take you to some oddball PDFs. Like, you think if you have a press mm-hmm. release that says, if you're so proud of this calculator you've created, like, where's the link? Where's the know. link? Well, and now the calculator is probably out of date because they made that thing before the actual real calculator came out. So now they got to. Because I think it. this is probably a recommended calculator. Yes. Yeah. Which and like, there's a major change, which is we all assumed that SBA would use 30 hours per week for full time, but they're actually using 40 hours per week for full time equivalent. So that changes a lot of calculations. Anyway, I got some more numbers for you on COVID. In the accounting profession before we move on. Well, let's broaden this away from Paycheck Protection Program. Do you, before we do that, should we even mention that there's a new $3 trillion package? So, I didn't even look at what's in this $3 because I heard this is dead on arrival. The House passed it, but Senate is not even considering any more stimulus money right now, right? So, is it? Is it yes. Is there anything like noteworthy in here? They want to help with payroll again. And they want to do $10 billion in emergency disaster grants and strengthen the employer retention tax credit. So, it's not really clear like what that is. Is this, you know, funding the uh, EIDL that did not get funded, right? Or is this something new again? Or they want to extend out the uh, federal unemployment. Oh, so no. Instead of, instead of but, it being but, through July all the way through January, so the rest of – going into 2021. Oh, yeah. This is dead on arrival. That's insane. What is wrong with these Democrats? The, 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 one of the big problems with PPP is that business owners can't bring back employees because the employees often make more money on federal unemployment than they do working. So, how are these businesses going to reopen if they can't bring people back to work because those people are sitting at home collecting fat checks? It doesn't work. Here's how Trump will win in the fall. If the Democratic Party 
becomes the party of shutdown, Trump will win. I I don't care what the polls say right now about you know how many people support uh, lockdowns versus opening up again. That's going to shift real fast as the economy plummets. I, I think it's a terrible strategy. So like this 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 will not work. Yeah, I think there's a 175 billion in rent. There's another second round of direct pay- payments. You know the IRS, yeah. which I don't even. So many people haven't even received their first round yet. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's another bill. Uh, they're going to argue it out. So it's now into the Senate. We'll see if where it goes anywhere. Um, like I said, it is an election year, so I could see all this money being thrown out there <laughs> again. Yeah, uh, but it, but it, but it's more complications, right? Like, okay, so now how do you track people that? They got their uh, rent subsidy or whatever, however they're going to do this, right? Yeah. Um, is that going to go to people and expect them to pay the rent? Or is it just going to go straight up to pay people's mortgages? Like it's, it, it's just a lot of more grayness, right? Versus mm-hmm. it's probably the best is just instead of taking that and divvying it up in all these buckets, just do the direct deposits. Just send people checks. Just give some people checks, yeah. Which there is also in that bill, right? Another round of yes, stimulus. Yes, another round of that. Yeah, but in yeah. a way, that's that's kind of the smallest parts, right? Right. The, it's so weird. Twelve hundred bucks per person. What they should be doing is just giving people the stimulus and then not increasing the unemployment, like because then people would go back to work to put that on top of their stimulus, right? Like we don't want to disincentivize people from working. Yeah, that's yeah. The stimulus is a one-time check for twelve hundred bucks. Unemployment right. is six hundred per week extra from the right. federal unemployment. So, but you're not allowed to work while you're collecting it. So people don't want to go back to work, make, meaning that businesses that are in areas that are reopening can't start up again because they don't have employees. Yeah, and at this point, uh, Goldman Sachs had an article that they're projecting unemployment's going to hit twenty five percent. Yeah, it's so it, why why even filter through unemployment? Just give everybody the money. Just give them the money. People who want to go back to work can go back to work. People who are, you know, at risk, they have the money then where they don't have to. That would be a much better compromise. I get there's people that don't want to do any of that unemployment stuff. I'm not that extreme. I think there is a middle road here. And I hope that the Democrats and Republicans can um, figure this out. And while we're talking about unemployment, uh, you know, accounting is not immune from this. We're a recession-proof profession, but... That doesn't mean that we don't have layoffs. So uh, I spotted some data from CPA Trendlines, their research division. So thus far, 67,600 jobs have been lost in tax and accounting. So basically four years of accounting job growth has been wiped out in one month. So we're back to where we were in April of 2016. Shutting down is affecting a lot of businesses, even people who can work from home, you know, it's not just the retail workers, the restaurant workers, like this is getting serious. I was one of the people very early on saying we need to do something about COVID and testing back in the very beginning of March is when I first started becoming aware of this, like just because of what was going on in the news. And I was saying, we need to act now, we need to act now. Well, here I am now on the other side saying the economic disaster is coming. We need to act now, we need to act now. And I feel like every time the government is just moving way too slow. I mean, this is why I'm glad I'm, I've moved to Arizona now is like LA County is going to stay locked down until June or July, probably. So restarting that economy is going to be really hard. It's just going to be a disaster, I feel like. And now it's hitting, uh, you know, we, we talked about, we talked about everybody working from home affecting commercial real estate, like office space. Yeah. But now I saw there's an article, um, 
the real it's uh the real deal it's new york real estate news retail rent collection plunges to 58% in april wow more than one in five large national chains are not paying the rent so this is not like oh julie's hair salon that's struggling small business and she didn't get her ppe loan and she's not paying her rent because she's not open like this is foot lockers h&m general mm-hmm. nutrition centers i saw st- that starbucks is negotiating with all their landlords yeah so you have major, major companies that aren't paying rent. Going concern warnings are on the rise. For our, for our listeners who may be students or non-accountants, a going concern warning is uh, when the accountants doing the financials fear that a company could default on its debt in the next 12 months. So if, if, the, if, if there's a risk of that, substantial risk, then you have to requ- report in your financial statements that – there are doubts that you will be able to continue as a going concern. So that's called a going concern warning. Some recent ones include Chesapeake Energy, which is a fracking company, Hertz, car rental company, Dave & Buster's, the restaurant chain, Norwegian Cruise Line, El Al, or El, is that LL, the airline? It's a big problem. It can't be an either or. It can't be like shut down or open. Like those extremes don't make sense. Because they both have very, very bad consequences where like a full shutdown can cost a trillion dollars a month, not to mention then the resulting like economic damage after that. Like that's just during it. Where and, and fully opening up, then now we're talking about this giant surge of infections coming in the fall or winter, which like is totally realistic. I think it's going to be supply and demand type of a curve, right? Yeah. Like we're going to, it's going to swing a little too hard this way, then we'll dial it back and we're going to find this happy medium here. But we're just not there yet. And you're right. It can't be one or the other. It can't all be locked down. It can't be the other direction. It's not um, all doom and gloom. No. So according to that CPA trend lines report with the job losses I mentioned, uh, there's also some good news. About 42% of firms are planning for a drop in net profit, but 45% still think this year will bring in more revenue than last year. So about half of firms are projecting they're going to lose business, but half of firms are saying we're going to grow during this whole thing. So that's good. I mean, well, the the forgiveness loan paperwork will be going on for months and months and months, and you can charge you can charge for filling out that form, right? You absolutely can. You couldn't charge for the application form, but you can charge for the forgiveness form. I think. And, I hope so. people may be willing to pay a premium for the forgiveness form help because, like the the loan, it was just different, right? Now people are scared, so now you could probably, as an accounting firm, charge a premium to help people fill out that form. Well, and the application was relatively easy. The forgiveness application, the loan application was easy. The forgiveness application is insane. So, I, I don't want to like you know talk about unemployment and more terrible news, but it, there was an article on Saster, and the reason I'm hitting this is because of our podcast, right? So, mm-hmm. pe- there's a big question like why is why are investors doing so well even though unemployment's so bad, right? This, there's a disconnect of the stock market versus what it feels like out there in the real world, right? And do you do you have any guess why? So there's a disconnect between the stock market and the real world. Okay. And it has to do with our podcast. So, so, so like, just like, okay. think about what our podcast is called. Uh, well, cloud. That's exactly it. It's the cloud. So, all the companies. People being able to work well, remotely. Well, it's not people working remotely. It's Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook. All the companies that, that are blowing up the stock market right now are all cloud. Our cloud. It's all the cloud. Yeah. Is what's what's keeping well because they can continue to operate, they can continue to sell their products, and they dominate the uh, stock yeah. market. And then yeah. that's what's driving 
the the stock market up. So that's that's why there's a disconnect, right, between you know mm-hmm. what, what's happening out there. Um, the two, I thought that was kind of an interesting stat. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. Um, like there's there's actually like half of firms are growing, half of firms are going to shrink. It's going to be that way in the economy overall, where the cloud-based businesses that can operate remotely that sell stuff we need. I haven't looked at Zoom stock in a while, but I know that's way up, right? All these things are, you know, necessary. We knew they were going to grow anyway. This has just accelerated it. I have some crazy stats about like remote work, uh, the growth of that. We don't have time to talk about it today because I just realized we're almost out of time. It's crazy. But I do want to hit it next week. And so I want to tease you with one stat. Okay. Which is the percentage of professionals who are now working remote. So before, do you know what it was before the percentage we, of professionals? Maybe a, a, a top best would have been 3% and maybe only full-time was less than 1%. I think we've talked about this in historically speaking. Yeah. So it was uh, 3% of the US population worked 100% remotely before COVID. 3%. And that's all professions. Of professionals and business services, so people who are able to more easily work remotely because we're just sitting in front of a computer the number was 5% according to McKinsey at best at at best at best that number and that was full time remote that number has jumped 69% so 74% of professionals and business services employees are now working fully remote that is an incredible jump and for information services that is up to 84% from 9% before crazy So, three quarters of professionals are working fully remote. And when this ends, it's not like it's going to go back to 5%. No, it's going to stay at that high number. And and what's insane to me about is like, and I just look at our own industry, like accounting firms for a decade have fought, like it's impossible. Nobody can work from home. And then overnight now it's 50%. It's it's amazing how how things just accelerated. And I think that's one thing I, I look at this we're in, right? Retail colleges like i feel like everything everything that has been on like a 10-year timeline has just gotten accelerated mm-hmm. so colleges were going to have to reinvent themselves and what they're offering what is and, and going online and that's happening and it's happening faster than ever and retail was already you know teetering as it is and they've had to do that and restaurants now are reinventing themselves like everything that was on like a 10-year timeline just got accelerated to the last eight weeks it's all happening in in yeah it's all going to happen in a year right? The businesses that can't adapt will go out of business some sooner than and, that. And it sounds cliche because I think like Mark Cuban's using it and some other people, this kind of America 2.0, but in a way, yeah, like we are going it, yeah. it, to, it's, it's, it's a big, it's not a gradual jump. It's happening very quickly. And what we're going to be 12 months out is completely different from a work perspective than the, we were 12 months ago. And this, and, and it, like I said, it probably would have taken 12 to 24 years for this change to happen and it's happening overnight. Uh, we should talk about Zero's numbers. It's amazing. Before we forget. Well, can we save, can we, is it all right if we save that? Because uh, I told my son that he had to have quiet time for an hour and <laughs> we're now past that. So I'm going to be in trouble. If I don't wrap this up. All right. Up. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess they might not be worth it. I mean, <laughs> I would have been her talking about it next week. I guess that's my <laughs> own reservation, right? Like next week, do we'll zero's numbers every make the, make the cut? Uh, we'll start with it next all week right, all right, all right. just okay. to get it out of the way. Because I've also got like app news that we missed, like new some new features and stuff. And like I want to hit on the tech side since we are the cloud accounting podcast and not just talk about 
like PPP compliance. Yeah, and there was that. some last week, but then there was not much this week other than Dropbox's numbers too, which I'm surprised that they have had usage go up. That's very strange to me as well. All right, yeah, we will skip on that, skip on that. There is nothing else important. All right. I have one piece of listener mail okay. that I'd like to hit. You've got mail. So this is from Michael Ferentz. He emailed me and he said, Hi, Blake. I'm a listener to the Cloud Accounting Podcast and have a question. I'm currently taking over treasurer duties for a parent-teacher organization. All reimbursements are currently paper-based. Is there a cloud software you recommend for expense reimbursements that will link directly to QuickBooks? We probably do 200 plus reimbursements a year directly to teachers and staff. Thanks for your time, Michael. Please, please, please let me take this, please. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is for you. Okay, so Michael, now, because I helped out with the PTA at my kid's school and the same scenario, you have lots of these reimbursements and there's lots of tech you can do to solve this. You could get Expensify, you could get Receipt Bank, Auto Entry, the list just goes on and on and on. There's lots of ways to do this. But the problem is, it's not like a business or a staff. In many cases, you have a parent that bought cookies at Costco and they need to be reimbursed $17. And it's a one-off, right? And then it's somebody else's one-off. So you just have too many one-offs in this scenario where, like, as we thought about it, like the, the real work would be trying to roll out this app constantly to a bunch of one-off people that aren't employees. And mm, yeah. that's, that's the difficulty we ran into to where you just like, forget it. Here's the old paper form, fill it out and we'll cut you a check. So the technology is there to solve this. It's the, how the logistics of how do you roll this out across a bunch of teachers and oddball parents, not oddball in a bad way, but just odd. It, it's hit and miss, right? <laughs> that parent may never spend money again. You never have to reimburse them again. Do yeah. you onboard them on app for one reimbursement? And that's the difficulty. And then on top of that, you know, even though now a lot of teachers have had to shift to online and do Zoom and, you know, they're, they're adopting technology, a lot of teachers either, A, don't even have a smartphone they can run this stuff on, but they're just not set up to do this technology-wise. They're just not ready to do this. David, what's the solution? You just keep rolling the way you've been rolling, unfortunately. <laughs> you just use the paper. <laughs> paper forms. So, I used to have a client where they had this issue where it would be a lot of one-offs and I just had them email the reimbursement requests. It was like a Google, you could do like a Google form uh, and then, you know, just process through that, like your normal AP process or something. So at least you've got like a streamlined form that they fill out. And one process could be is you have it, you, you almost have somebody bite the bullet, right? Where you put that one person, maybe it's the, you know, the front desk um, admin, right? That that person's on the app and then everybody just gives her the receipt. She doles out out of petty cash, the cash to reimburse right instantly. And then she submits it, you know, into the accounting system. That way, uh, that you, makes could, sense, you could have yeah. one one person be that bottle. And that, so basically, what you're doing is you're kicking the can down the road. Instead, somebody else is going to do all the work instead of you as the treasurer. So the issue is the training of one-off reimbursements. It's not worth the time to get somebody set up on an app, get them a account, teach them how to use it if they're just going to do one. Yeah. It's better just to have them submit traditionally through a form uh, and then get reimbursed. But you could have, I like that middle ground, which is you have an app that one person or maybe a few people are trained to use and they process the reimbursements. And it could be where it's maybe it's just the teachers, right? You just get the, right. the staff to do it. Um, but it, it's it's just tricky. Like We just couldn't, we, we have not solved it either. Maybe that's, all, maybe that's my answer on this. Well, uh, that's all the time we've got today. If people want to reach you online, David, where's the best 
place for them to track you down? Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm at David Leary. And if you're uh, on LinkedIn, please just say you're a listener of the show so I don't converse with more robots. Likewise for me, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Say that you are a listener of the podcast and your message. And you can reach me on Twitter. Follow me at Blake T. Oliver or email any of your questions to Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Just know that if you do, I may read them on the air and answer them as well because... That was a great insight, David. I would have not thought of that issue. Uh, until next week, have a have a good rest of your Sunday. You too. Bye, everybody. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? Automate this process and get client answers instantly with Client Hub's QuickBooks Online integration. This feature was described as one that only an accountant would have come up with as it solves a real big pain point. Client Hub is a modern client portal designed for cloud accounting firms. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Stop spending endless hours creating and building workflow and process templates for your firm. Jetpack Workflow is 32 accounting flow workflow templates you can download for free. These popular accounting templates include monthly bookkeeping, weekly accounting analysis, and 990, 1120, 1041, 1040 tax returns. Download yours free today at jetpackworkflow.com slash free templates. That's jetpackworkflow.com slash free templates. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.